Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Derek Flood and I had a very interesting conversation, and it's a, it's a, it was a theological conversation, it, it's a philosophical conversation, it's about, it's about interpretation, and in this case it's about interpreting a sacred text, it's about, about the uh, hermeneutic around how we come to understand uh, what the Bible has to say, and so he's written a book called Disarming Scripture, and he's taking some heat, he's taking a little bit of heat here and there uh, from, from sort of the traditional sort of approach to, to to understanding um, an old, a very old text. And he's looking at taking the Old Testament and the New Testament and sort of trying to reconcile some of the what appear to be disparate uh, elements. This is, a, this is an interview about, uh, we talk about uh, his approach, we talk about, we talk about tolerance and about uh, transparency and authenticity and, and, and about a new understanding uh, around science and, and, and how um, religious folk need to, need to I'm going to say listen. Listen a little more attentively. I think you're going to enjoy it. Derek Flood on Disarming Scripture. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We have another uh, interesting, engaging uh, guest with us today. We're joined by Derek Flood. Uh, Derek, Derek, thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. So Derek's the author of Healing the Gospel, A Radical Vision for Grace, Justice, and the Cross. He's a, he's a blogger for Huffington Post, Sojourners and Red Letter Christians, and he's re- uh, also written a book called Disarming Scripture. I love the subtitle, uh, Cherry-Picking Liberals, Violence-Loving Conservatives, and Why We All Need to Learn to Read the Bible Like Jesus Did. So thanks for joining us again t- today, Derek. You betcha. So... What's a cherry-picking liberal and what's a violence-loving conservative have to do with anything? Um, okay, well, when we're talking about violence in the Bible, um, you know, and that specifically, usually that has to do with the Old Testament. You know, we even have the phrase, um, I'm going to go Old Testament on you. <laughs> right, like right. I'm going to go postal on you. 
Right, and so we, we so it just commonly understood, you know, just broadly that the Old Testament has some real stuff with violence, you know. Um, and when you read the Old Testament, you have, um, you know, you have commands to commit genocide, like um, all over the place in the Old Testament. But one example is First uh, Samuel 15, where they said that they're supposed to go in and slaughter every man, woman, child, mm. and animal in this, of this populace. And, 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 and it said, show them no mercy, right? And clearly, if you know, you're trying to follow Jesus and he's all talking about mercy, you know, and grace and love of enemies, then slaughtering your enemies and showing them no mercy is pretty obviously the opposite of that. And it's pretty um, shocking, you know, the idea of, if we think of what's just the, the standard, what would be categorically terrible while slaughtering infants, Hard to top that one, right? Well, so what's so crazy about that? What you, as you, as you sort of quickly start to unpack it, is one thing to you know go and lay waste to a, a town, and then to say, by the way, show them no mercy. Like it's just, it's like just upping the ante a little bit, isn't it? Right. In case, in case you were thinking about that, <laughs> that's to clarify, right. You know, in case you're going, well, maybe this pregnant woman or um, you know the older guy, like no, yeah, better get them. In fact, in, in the story in First Samuel. Saul spares some people, and and in the story, um, the prophet um, Samuel, I think it's Samuel, I may be wrong about which prophet it is, anyway, it's the book of Samuel, um, I think it's Nathan, actually, um, anyway, whatever, comes to him and says, God's angry with you, Saul, because you didn't listen to me, and you did show mercy, and now I'm really ticked about that, and now you're going to lose your kingship. That's why he lost his kingship, because he showed mercy. And, you know, of course, it's not framed that way. It's yeah, because sure. you were not faithful. You were not obedient. Um, but there we have these two altering narratives in the Old Testament where we have, on the one hand, what I call unquestioning obedience, which is that's an example of what mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's um, promoting that. The, this is the rule. You just do it, and you don't question. Unquestioning obedience, as opposed to faithful questioning, where the prophets come in and say, yeah, I know there's this thing about sacrificing, but... Actually, God doesn't care about sacrificing, and even though it's in the law, and what we care about is caring for the widow and the orphan and showing compassion. And so there's, there's these conflicting um, narratives of what's right and wrong mm. um, throughout the Old Testament. And the, the difficulty is that people have been taught to think or taught to believe that there's one narrative, there's one, this is what the Old Testament says, when in fact it's actually a collection of books from a collection of people over a collection over a long period of time where they have developing views of who God is and therefore disagree with each other on things. So these contradictions that people, you know, oftentimes the atheists will be like, aha, I found a contradiction. Right. Well, of course you did. Because, you know, if you have a, if, if we air a political debate and you're like, wow, these two people, they're contradicting. It's like, right, because it's a debate. It's normal. And that's what's happening in the Old Testament as well, is you have these conflicting views. But... One of the views is that violence is good. And with coming back to your original question of the subtitle of the book, the, the conservative typical response is to argue why that's good. Why is it okay to slaughter infants? Why is it okay to do all these things that, that we would regard as moral atrocities? Why are they actually really good and okay and necessary? Maybe not desirable, but necessary. And that's the typical conservative thing of saying why violence is a good thing that keeps us safe, you know, it's the whole NRA kind of logic. And then you have um, the, the cherry-picking liberals, as I call them, um, 
I, I, I aim to offend everybody in my <laughs> Yeah, good for you. Yeah, nice. And nice. You, you, know, you might as well commit to something, right, Gary? <laughs> I, like, yeah. I hope I get everyone's attention. <laughs> yeah. But and I, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's, I think it's funny. So I'm hoping that people will, you know, do a little smile when they see it. It's not actually meant to upset anybody. It's just supposed to be funny. But anyway, um, the li- by liberals, I don't mean the cartoon liberal picture that conservatives have of, oh, no, liberals. But I mean, even, let's say, um, nice evangelicals who, where the pastor has a Hawaiian shirt on, right? right? Um, where they're kind of like, hey, grace, and, you know, we're, we're, they don't say sin, they say brokenness, and they um, try to have sort of like a, you know, a welcoming message and seeker-sensitive and, you know, electric guitars and everything. They will oftentimes um, whitewash over things. So it's important to understand cherry-picking. People oftentimes misunderstand what cherry-picking is. Cherry-picking does not mean that you go through um, cherries grow on trees, right? So is it a field? I don't know. I'm, I don't pick cherries in real life. But, but <laughs> unless you're at the supermarket and you're Neither picking out some cherries from the supermarket cherries, you're not going to pick the ones that look rotten. Mm-hmm. That would be silly. So cherry-picking, what it means, picking the good cherries and leaving the bad cherries is a really intelligent thing to do that you should totally do. So if you pick the good things of something and leave out the bad things, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah, but you're 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 not advocating cherry picking in the not, strict sense of the word. You're actually saying, as I read you anyway, you're you're saying this is this is exactly what you're talking about when you say faithful questioning, is it not? Well, so cherry picking is a logical fallacy. Sure. What it means is misrepresenting evidence. It means saying right. all the cherries are good here when actually they aren't all good. And that's what I'm saying that liberals do. Um me me being a liberal. So, um, so they'll, they'll, they'll present and they'll say, oh, the, the Old Testament is, is, is about mercy, it's, it's about you know, caring for the poor, and it is. Those passages are really there, and it has really wonderful, good stuff about it. There's lots of wonderful, beautiful, good stuff in the Old Testament, but it's not just that. And, they'll kinda, and so they'll, they'll, you get that impression and be like, oh, gosh, I've got to read this, and you open it up, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what's all this stuff, though? Hmm. They're like, oh, <laughs> you just have to understand you know, context and... Right, and and so that's that's the problem. There is that they don't acknowledge that there's really a problem that we need to work through in space. Well, how and you know what? How do you work through it? You know, I was at a church service not long ago, and uh, and, and knowing that you and I were going to be digging a little deeper and chatting about your book and so on, and the congregation read Psalm one thirty six aloud. And there's like a response in this psalm. It's basically saying, you know, the opening sentence is, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the response was, the whole congregation said it, his faithful love endures forever. I've always had some issues with those sort of responsive readings. I don't like them personally, but that's a whole other conversation. But then we get to verse 10. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. And the whole congregation says in unison, his faithful love endures forever. And I looked at my wife and I I went, are you kidding me? And, and, and so I just, is that what you're talking about here? That kind of inability to say, hang on a second here. Not only is this incongruent, this is just plain wrong, period. Well, yeah, so let's, let's back up a little bit with yeah. that. Right? Yeah. So we have that kind of thing where there's this thing that makes you go, wait, you know, like you, 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 the sound of the needle being ripped across the record. Right, you know? right. And, and you're like, hold on there. What did you just say? <laughs> yeah, that's or, right. Or, You'll, you'll hear the story of Noah's Ark, and you'll go, wait a second, that's great for these, like, what, eight people or whatever, but what about everyone else in the world? Are they all bad? Yeah, really? They yeah, all deserve yeah, that? Oh, my yeah. goodness. So the, the, the perspective from outside the Ark, 
And what, what I want to show in the book, which I think is really crucial, is traditionally people would say that, David, you are a doubter now. That's you right, right. are a skeptic. You are you know, teeter-tottering on atheism here because you're asking a question, and you shouldn't ask the question like that. You need to trust in the Lord, and either they'll give you some argument that you can comprehend now and, and evaluate, or they'll say, like, well, it's a mystery, and you'll have to wait till heaven to find the answer to that, etc. And they basically discourage you from asking that question. And that is the narrative of, um, you know, um, unquestioning obedience. Don't ask the question. Just you know, stay in line with with the program here. And and what I look at in the book is, in the Old Testament, you have a tradition. One of the traditions. It's a minority tradition, but the tradition of questioning, where you have the psalmist who says, "Wait a minute, I'm being victimized here. This is not fair. Um, what's going on? I'm being surrounded and accused." And so you have this protest. You have the book of Job, book of Ecclesiastes, all of the prophets, all of them are saying, hold on, this program that you have of this is the right answer, I question that. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm saying this is not working, this is not right. Job, for example, is saying, hey, are you saying I'm being punished for my sins? And his friends are like, yep, you sure are. And Job's like, and their narrative fits with the law. The law says exactly that. Right. And, And Job's going, but that's wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. This is not fair. This is a rip-off. This is, this is wrong. And, so, and, and what's amazing about the Old Testament, if you think about it, is that that voice, those voices, were allowed to be put in the canon of the Hebrew Scriptures alongside the dominant voice of unquestioning obedience. Wow, that's, that's wild and cool mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. crazy that you're allowing these people to say, hold on, I'm questioning this. They're doing that as, as a tradition, as a, as a thing that's considered to be okay to do and good to do. And, then, and that's the prophetic tradition of questioning things and saying, hey, mercy is what really matters here, and not law. So I was talking... We, we come into Jesus, Jesus is doing the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, where he's all the time questioning the Pharisees and going, hey, hold on, I don't think this is good. This is what, law, what love requires that you do, is to heal on the Sabbath. And they're like, no, you can't, that's breaking the Sabbath, you can't do that. And he's like, well, too bad, I'm doing it, you know, drop the mic. So what I want to say is that when we do that, what we're doing is we are following the model set by the prophets and set by Jesus when we question. We are not going off-map, we're on-map. And when we don't question, we're off-map. So do you think... Do you think there's something here, uh, far, sorry about the word for uh, some, but a, a, a rotten epistemology? Uh, in other words, do you think there is an approach to um, sacred texts, an approach to science, an approach to history, religion, and so on that says we need to find the right answer, this rationalism, you know, this, this pathway towards certainty? I was talking to Peter Enns recently, a, a, another biblical scholar, and his new book is, I believe, uh, going to be called The Sin of certainty. Mm-hmm. And so, and as a philosopher and as a thinker and having read the Greeks and so on, you go, hang on a minute here. Isn't that where we kind of went wrong? We don't have access to the truth in that sense, in that I've got it all right. I can go to the bookshelf, pull it off sense. Does that make any, uh, does that make any contact with reality, that question? Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, I think it comes down to um, certainty is something that I think can easily be associated with fundamentalism. Mm. And fundamentalism is something that you see across all religions. 
and you see outside of religion, people can be fundamentalist right. about whatever ideology is important to them. Yeah, sci- scientists as well, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Everybody. It could, because it has to do with emotional and moral maturity, hmm. right? And you can be a scientist or have a PhD in 35 things, and, and, you know, but, but not have um, well-developed morality, well-developed character. And when you're that way, you see things in black and white terms. You, it's, it's, it's basically a fear response. Hmm. You, you, certainty is associated with, um, with fear and insecurity. Hmm. So you want to be secure. So you want to, and, and, and when you're five years old, that's normal to be that way, to think my, my mom and my dad know everything. I'm totally safe. Nothing can go wrong, and, you know, that kind of view. Everybody's like that when they're five. It's just the problem is when you're 35 or 55 and you're still that way, well, then that's what immaturity is all about, right? And, and so that's, that's the thing. And that, when you, um, have, when you have that thing that where you're driven by fear, you're otherizing other people, you see anyone who disagrees with you as wrong and dangerous and a threat, well, then that is you know, it's, it's inevitable that that kind of comes into violence as a way to... And, and there's, history shows that, too, you know, that, that that kind of thinking leads to violence. Did, did so you that's, that's where I see it's, 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 a, it's a real important problem. And, and what we need to have is that we, we associate certainty with faith, but right. actually it's the right. opposite. Right. Faith is about trust, and trust is about vulnerability and humility which is the opposite of certainty. And we should be seeking truth, right? But not so that I possess the truth. Right. Right? But so maybe you could say the, the truth possesses me, not that I have a monopoly on truth, but truth has a monopoly on me, which has to do with openness, humility, seeking. Of course we should seek love and seek to better um, our society and better ourselves, but not so we're like, I have it down, and if you disagree with me, I'm taking you out. That's bad. So it's not so much that, that, that you necessarily have a problem with the Old Testament. It's, it's how people or yourself or others or my, me or whoever read the Old Testament. This is what we're talking about. We're talking, and, then, and then I think the question is, I think, Derek, is what are the implications of that? Because if we can't get out of this box or if we can't take off this filter or these lenses, what are going to be the implications for me as a parent, as a school teacher, as a construction worker, as a philosopher? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing something that you think is the rule and it's going against your conscience, and going against what you think is right, and yet you do it anyway, then that can have really bad consequences, can't it? So I think that's really crucial. And, and there are people always ask, too, when I say that kind of thing, they're like, well, how do you know that your conscience is right? And I'm like, right. well, you don't, right? Yeah. You don't know that your conscience is right, and maybe it's not. But that doesn't mean that you should violate your conscience. You know, if, 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 if I am oversensitive about something, and I shouldn't be, well, I need to learn to deal with that, but you, sh- you can't force me to be like, you know, be free. You know, it's like you've got to get to that. Yeah. And, so, and, and then again, that being free, too, is about being able to think and question. And, and, and really what it comes down to me is that theology needs to be connected to life. It can't mm. be saying, this is what I observe in life, and I'm going to ignore that and just plow ahead with my, with my ideology, that's, that's unthinking, and that's, that's hurtful. You know, what, what, I, I, I'm pretty sure you used the word otherizing, and I want to I come back to that in a second, but what, pray tell, are we running from? What are we so afraid of? Um, I think we're afraid of the monster god that we created. 
So the, so the foundation, basically, the history, what we've come up with is way off the mark. It's not necessarily a, like you, your, your comment about truth possessing us, we've, we've gone the other way, we've put it the other way, and we've said God's out there somewhere, and if we understand this book, uh, this inerrant, infallible book inspired by God, then we're going to get access to him. Yeah, and, and, and I, think that we can, I think we can take these words, you know, like inspired and, 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 and kind of th- think about how we approach these things. And there's a way to approach it where it's all about I possess the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a way to approach it where it's the opposite. I don't possess the truth that I'm seeking it. And, and so I think that that's, that's really crucial in how we, how we come at it. You were saying before that the issue isn't really the Bible as it is us and how we read it. And I think that's, that's totally right. You know, I mean, Jesus is reading the Bible, and he's coming up with this wonderful picture of God. And that's, that's the conflict. We have from Jesus this loving picture of God, but we have from the Bible that Jesus read, if you will, um, a, one, one way of reading it where you come up with this terrible picture of God, this mm-hmm. scary, monstrous picture of God, where this is passage that... It just is almost amusing to me because it's so over-the-top crazy in, in um, Deuteronomy 28 where it talks about how if you obey the law, then you will have health and wealth and everything will be great and you'll be happy and all your crops will grow every single time and it'll always rain at the right time. <laughs> every single time. Are you sure that's in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you can tell I'm not a farmer. Right? That's funny. Is and that the new Floodian uh, 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 interpretation? Yeah, it's the NLF. The That's right. Blood. <laughs> there you go. And, and, um, and then you have the, the opposite, though. But if you break these, then, you know, you're going to starve to death. Yep. You're going to be overrun and pillaged yep. and killed. And, and then it ends with saying, and you're going to cannibalize your own children. And then it even, in case you're like, a, and, and it, in case somebody's going like, no, I want, it says in there that even the, the nicest grandma is going to do this. You're all going to, you're going to become insane cannibals. And it's really, that's, again, that's a fear thing. Obey these rules or else. Yeah, you know, in the, or in else. In the most shocking, yeah. strongest terms yeah. I can, that, that the author can think to say about that, don't go off map. You know? and, and so you have that picture of, that's a scary God. And yeah. then the New Testament yeah. you know, adds to it with the, oh, and also this God will torture you forever in hell. So like, you know, one, I think, false um, presentation of the gospel, but a really common one is, You've done something wrong because yep. you've broken the law. By yep. the way, you can't possibly keep it. So that's how I know you broke it because no one can keep it because it's an impossible to keep law. And no, God's really mad at you and is going to destroy you forever in hell unless he kills his own son, um, which will make him, I guess, feel better. And then he's willing to forgive you for this thing that you couldn't help anyway. Yay. Right. 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 That's supposed to be good news. And it sounds <laughs> really scary. Right. Like, you know, yep. you want to go sit in the lap of that God and call that God Father. You can understand why people might be a little hesitant about that and why people are afraid of God and have this awkward, unsafe relationship with God because of that. A friend of mine, uh, Baxter Kruger, theologian out of Mississippi, uh, often refers to as our sort of common understanding of God as a distant, austere, faceless omni-being, which I think is beautiful, yeah. right? Yeah, and and so it's just an extent, and now add to that possibly monster as well, you've got... You know, you've got, you've got a bit of a challenge on your hand trying to convince others to say, hey, this is worth looking into. Right, and, and I think that what Jesus does, and the New Testament more broadly does, is it challenges that understanding of God. Right. It says, no, God is, 
like a loving father. Which kind of unpacks your, sub, I mean, that's your subtitle, right? Why we need to learn to read the Bible like Jesus did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is... Because it's, 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 it's different. It's not, it's not just the, oops, I made a mistake and I misinterpreted it, right? It's the, the bad stuff is really there. It's not a misinterpretation. It's more sifting. It's like wheat and chaff kind of stuff. Derek, Derek I, sorry, man, I cut you off, but I have to ask this. I Sometimes I go crazy a little bit. Uh, with, um, I'm divorced. And so when I went through that uh, years ago, the reaction of the church community that I was in at the time, and I don't want to throw a bunch of fiery darts, but I'm going to toss a couple, was inappropriate, was at sometimes unkind, and was really not all that supportive. Because, you know, I guess I would have been stoned, right? Or something um, as a divorcee. I'm also a sleight of hand magician, so I'm condemned to death in the book of Leviticus. Basically, I'm screwed. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm done for, Derek. But, but my but what I'm trying to get to is, do you think that if we had more of this kind of an approach to uh, our, our understanding, our worldview, our epistemology, as I would say, our, our, the way we interpret things, do you think that maybe my experience might have been a bit different? And I guess my question, I guess what I'm really trying to get to is, doesn't that approach affect everything else? So, so let's... let's what I think actually it's really interesting that you brought up the, the topic of divorce because that, we've been talking so far, we've been saying like, oh, Old Testament, Old Testament, right? Yeah. But you can have a direct quote of Jesus saying, you know, that divorce is, is wrong and now you're in a position of adultery ever since, you know, a- everything you do after that is adultery, right? So it's, yeah. then it's like, what do you do with that? You can't just yeah. say, oh, old t- OTNT thing. That's right. That's you right. Say, well, let's yeah. read just the red letters of Jesus. You're like, oops. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And and what I would say with that is that the general way that I would propose that we ought to read scripture is we need to look at how Jesus approaches things, and like a good student, like a good disciple, we need to get what he's doing, not make him into a law. Mm. He comes over and kicks over the law and says, this is better. We don't need to make that legalistic. And you can. You can take something like turn the other cheek and use it to justify somebody being in a situation of domestic abuse, right? Right, of course. Happens, happens all the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's so, so you can read Jesus literally and, um, and come up with terrible, terrible interpretations. Like he says, you know, go pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin, and please do not pluck out your eye. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so there's a, there's, a, there's a way that you could read it in a really bad way. But what I see Jesus doing, which I try to, to demonstrate in the book, is I see him questioning things and always asking. The, basically, I see his, his core premise as he reads the Bible as, this is meant to lead us to love. Mm. And if it's not leading us to mm. love, mm. no matter how perfect your Greek is and everything else, <laughs> you're wrong. You're right. just wrong. If, if what you say is promoting something awful, no matter how solid you know, page after page of footnotes that you have on saying that it's okay to have slavery, it's not okay to have slavery. It's wrong. And, and so we need to look at stuff. And I think what's happened with divorce is that people have looked and they said, look, sure, of course we should try to save marriages, right? And, and sure, we shouldn't have the, you know, people taking advantage of, of each other and, and et cetera, et cetera. However, it doesn't seem loving to assign people forever to, like, this cursed, you know, state um, if 
they happen to have a divorce. What can we do that's loving instead? Sure. And that, in, that means that we need to again, take that further. In the same way as you can also say, you know what, I think we need to go further than they did in the New Testament and abolish slavery, hmm. right? And I think that in, we also need to go further now and, and deal with all sorts of problems with racism that were not solved just by abolishing slavery. And, and it's, the idea is to say, let's, go, let's continue in this, let's identify a direction and continue in that direction and continue to develop that and not think we need to be frozen in time with whatever they had exactly at that moment right then with that one statement becomes the law. I think that actually is not a good way to read the Bible. So I think that we should be, including with the New Testament, always asking, how can we do this more? And then, because otherwise, like think about Martin Luther King. I'd like to think that when Jesus hears about Martin Luther King and how he takes Jesus' principle of turning the other cheek and takes it further, imply, applying it to a mass movement, or Gandhi right, too, right. applying it to a mass movement to make social changes of governments, I don't think that was really on the plan for the apostles at the time, because right. they living right. in Rome would think that's just out of their possibility thing. Or, or how about there's Compassion International or World Vision who are using helicopters and trucks and, and, and um, doctors and et cetera, which didn't even exist then. Sure. None yep. of that existed yep. to feed the poor. I don't think Jesus is going to go, hold on. No, that's not exactly what I said. You can't do that. I think he's going to be saying, this is awesome, guys. And yeah. in fact, Jesus said you will do greater things than I. And I think that's where I think we need to be What's, trying to go towards. You talk about, you talk about questions that are, that are, and we still haven't gone back to otherizing yet, but we, you talked about questions being motivated by compassion in, in disarming scripture. What, is, what does that look like? Um, well, there's a lot of examples that I give. Here's one. Um, the woman caught in adultery is okay. the story that is in John's Gospel, right? We're all familiar with it. But, but real quick, um, you know, they come to, they say to Jesus, hey, the law requires that she be um, you know, stoned to death and killed for this. What do you say? And he breaks the law. He does not say, oh, well, I say I'm, the law must be fulfilled, and, you know, I'm the Son of God, so therefore let me. He says, which is funny, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And who is the one who is out without sin? He is. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't cast the first stone. He forgives her, and he protects her from the mob. And, and what's crazy to me is that so often you tell this story, it's beautiful. And clearly the point of the story is supposed to be this woman is shown mercy, and wow. And yet so often you have evangelicals who will say, yes, but he said go and sin no more. Right. Because what they identify with is not the woman, not the person, not the individual, not the victim. Not the relational response based on the situation at the time. Right. They do not identify with that. They identify with the rule. Right. This is the rule. I want to clarify that that isn't okay. And you know what? It, it isn't good to commit adultery, right? I'm not, that's not the, that's not the yeah, that issue. Yeah, that it's yeah. like, oh, I think it's great. Oh, it's not great. It's all sorts of hurt, right? That's right. But... But the point, but Jesus is saying, my priority is her. And, and we are so often saying, well, my priority is keeping the rules straight. Yeah, and again, I think good. this is a, an immature morality. If you are, if you are mature mor- with morality, you can kind of go, you can hold those two things together. You can say, yes, I get the rule. It's important. It's a good rule, actually. And yet, let's care about this person right now. Let's care about this individual and not have them be crushed by this rule. That's, and that, you know, I think that's so important 
to how to recognize Jesus is a really moral, smart guy. Kind of, you know, it sounds like sort of a silly thing to say, but because it's so obvious, you know. But 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 he is, and we need to get to being mature as well. And so often, though, we're told, you know, these verses that are quoted to us of, you know, the heart is desperately wicked, and and if without the Bible, how would you know anything about what's right and wrong? And it's like, well not that hard with a lot of things you know you do know back to my, you know back to my comment about the whole divorce thing and the way the the group around me that responded i i think you know you talk about so often so the 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 liberals i guess the cherry picking liberals gloss over some of these uh, issues let's say in the old we like Testament. To, we like to be called progressives yeah um and i think in some regards we do the same with things like sec- our sexuality with with death with with divorce, when somebody in a church or a congregation breaks a rule that we've been told is a black and white, we don't know what to do with it. So what do we do? We maybe shake a limp-fisted uh, handshake and we say, well, you know, God be with you, or I'll remember you in my prayers, or whatever. And I think that's an oversimplification, but I see it time and time again. And, and more troublingly, I hear it time and time again from people, and that's been their experience. And so I think, Derek, if we are able to be compassionate about the questions we ask, there's a humility there that would allow us to say to this person, you know what, buddy, I, I don't got the answers, right? And, right? and let, hey, let's go out for a drink tonight and chat about it. I mean, I think there's a level of humanity in what you're doing here that I got to tell you, I just resonate with on so many levels. And I think there are so many, there are many others out in the community doing the same thing. And I think you're, you're, you're making God more human for, uh, um, people who I think know on some level that he is really human. God, there is a human God out there or they are really human. Right. Right. And, and I'm excited by that. It's just, I look at some of this stuff and I go, wow, we got, we got a long way to go still. Yeah. It's so important to not lose love and, and the relational focus. Well, it's what you just said. Jesus said, my priority is her. For me, that's for me the takeaway, right? It's beautiful, beautiful way to put that. This is, talk about the, 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 the gospel being realized. I hate even using the phrase because it's been so bastardized, you know? Um, but it's, there, it's, it's, there's a humanity here. There's an authenticity. There's a truth. There's a, there's a realism here that I think to some degree we've lost. But, you know, just on the other side of that, all that, though, what do you do with the guy or the woman who says to you, well, hang on a minute, so you're not into inerrancy and infallibility, et cetera. You want a relational God. You want to... Aren't we then just standing on a philosophical house of cards? Doesn't everything just crumble around me? Yeah, I don't think it does. But it is important to to think of what is your foundation? What is this? What what are you basing this on? You know? Yeah. And so, yeah. So my initial thing when I first started looking into all this is I thought like, oh, we should have a Jesus-shaped interpretation, right? Right. But the problem is that everybody wants to claim that, right? Of course they do. Conservatives yep. want to claim that just as much as liberals will. Everybody will. Everyone who's Christian will say like, I'm basing on Jesus because who wouldn't want to say that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so for one thing, it's important to I think look at how Jesus is reading the Bible and get that, as opposed to just kind of like trying to say, well, he said this quote and has said that quote, so what's the rule here? Because that's just not how he thinks, but kind of get under his skin and see what, you know, it's a cl- classic question of what would Jesus do? Right? Right. Are, right? You, are you wearing a bracelet right now? <laughs> I, ha- I have had that bracelet. <laughs> Don't have it on right now. Um, and, and so it's a great question. Yeah, right? of course it is. Um, so, but... 
the, the what I want to, and, and also too, and I think that's important. We should be asking that. And yet, it's I don't want to presume. Well, Derek knows the answer to that because it's, you know I want to be humble, and that doesn't sound very humble to say like I've nailed that exactly right. what that is. Right. And the same thing of saying like I think it's also really important to listen to the spirit. I think that's and, and you know and to to be open and to pray. I don't want to to leave that out. And yet, I don't want to say like and since I have the spirit, therefore every single thing in my book is correct. You know, because that's also really <laughs> arrogant. So. So that that can't really be. I can't hang my hat on that either. Yeah, sure. You know? um, and in a way, in a way, that's maybe where I hang my hat. I hang my hat on saying, "I'm trying, but I can't be certain." And then you kind of ask, "Okay, but what's ways to get to that?" One would be, "Well, let's talk together. Let's yeah. have a conversation yep. together and have everybody's voice be be part of that. Let's listen to the people who are normally marginalized by, like, you know, if I'm a a, a white male." You know, I'm in the privileged class. Let's listen to people who aren't and, and hear what they have to say right. and let them right. come to the table. Let's look at people who are in a tradition of following the way of Jesus and learn from them. You know, learn, like, you guys have been doing this for, like, you know, 50, 100 or whatever years. What have you learned practically on the ground of how does forgiveness work and what's a healthy understanding of forgiveness and what's an unhealthy understanding of forgiveness and not just you must forgive all the time no matter what kind of thing, right? And, and, and really work through that together and and let's 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 notice that we can be wrong about stuff and correct mm-hmm. that. Let's mm-hmm. let's look at things and say. So, but what I really come down to is this basic principle, which is we ob- if we can observe that our application of scripture is hurtful, then we need to stop and mm-hmm. reassess our course yeah. and go. I, we must be getting something wrong here because this is hurting people. Let's pay attention to that. And and that's that's kind of my my. My humble proposal is just that, not that therefore we'll get it perfect, but just right. let's look and let's and if we can really be like we can be like, oh, I clearly see this hurting people. We shouldn't just say, well, but that's the Bible, that's the word of the Lord. We need to go. Hold on, no, we're that's what the Pharisees did. And when and when you're saying hurting, Derek, you don't mean just hurting somebody's feelings. You're talking about you're talking about a, a hmm a deeper deeper sense of hurt, an existential, a relational hurt. Yeah, I'm talking about really verifiable. Damaging, damage. Damage is a better word. Damage, traumatized. Right. <clears throat> um, everything from you know, like if we go back further in time, um, or maybe even um, you know, to, to I don't know if this is happening somewhere else in the world. Maybe it is, but but there was a time not so long ago where if you had the wrong orthodoxy formulation, they would burn you alive. We still do it in our community here in Oakville, actually. Oh no, you don't. Yeah, Friday nights. Right, and yep. so, so, so there, the hmm, what's worse, my formulation of the Trinity isn't quite right, or you killed me, <laughs> right? I'm thinking, I think that the one who's less orthodox, yeah. the one who is, you know, mass murdering people, you know, so, and 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 I think that when we talk about like, you know, trauma and 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 invoking on people that they are hated and worthless and scum and and bad, right? That kind of stuff isn't as bad as literally killing them, you know, or, but, but, and also another example was slavery in the past, right, of, of keeping people as, as human slaves, well, that's damaging. So, and, and so I'm talking about that, but also on a more subtle level of just, you know, promoting hatred and judgment and hurting people and making them hate themselves. And I think, you know, as you, as you talk about that, I think that's what I was trying to get to. And I, uh, with my, my example of my own experience with people who reacted to, or, or didn't even react to my, uh, my divorce, 
you know, how do we actually attend to this? How, how do we come alongside David? And they didn't have the tools to do it. And I would argue that it has something to do with out being able to ask compassionate questions. I, I really would. I mean, we, maybe we need to, in fact, I know we need to leave that for another time. Uh, believe it or not, we're coming to, going to have to come to the near, near the end of, of, of our conversation here. But can I, can I just read a quote from your book? Yeah. The, the quote, the, the bottom line here is a vital connection to life. We need a way of reading scripture rooted in life, not detached from it. This focus on experience needs to be understood in the context of a focus on relationship with God and others. This puts the stress on a lived faith connected to life and love. This relational emphasis underscores that the imperative task, sorry, the interpretive tasks are imperative, I suppose. Interpretive task needs to be done together in community, in relationship, rather than than in isolation, close quote. I mean, isn't that, why did you even write the book, Derek? That's all you needed. (laughs) Drop the mic, one sentence. That's right. Seriously, that's like, isn't that it? Isn't that in a cracked nutshell what you're trying to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In in relationship, in community with others, compassion, love, transparency, authenticity, and coming alongside. Right. That's, yeah. That's something yeah. That, that that's so critical. Yeah. Is that if you see it as an issue of um of like a, a limbic reaction of immediate danger, I need to right. stop you from going to hell right now, and therefore <laughs> right. I'm going to like. Right. Right. Jump in your way like there's a train coming to hit you. Right. That's, that's a different approach than if you say, I'm going to come alongside David, and I'm going to be his friend, and we're going to share our, our, our struggles together, and we're going to work this out and, and in, as, as friends in relationship, then, then change can happen. Mm-hmm. But if it's like this screaming, stop right now, you know, when it's not a immediate truck is going to hit you kind of thing, then then that cuts off the possibility of, of, of nurturing and, and friendship and growing. And this is supposed to happen in community. When you say, you, you've made one mistake and you're out of the community, it's like, right. but, but don't we all make well, mistakes? Yeah. Don't we all have problems that we need to work through? And shouldn't we work through that together? Like, you don't earn, you don't get yourself all cleaned up and then come to God. That's right. You yeah. come straight to God, and that's well, how, in that relational context, that you get better. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Derek, I can't believe uh, that we've got to we've got to pull this to an end here. But uh, thank you so much for joining us today. So so check out Derek online, uh, therebelgod.com, which I think is a question I should have asked you about just the title alone. Um, but you'll find uh, links to articles, books, uh, uh, his bio, things that he's up to there. He's uh, he's a he's an artist. He's a writer. He's a thinker. Uh, Tony Campola said that they once said that quote artists are the best theologians. They feel things that are true before theologians can jargonize them into obscurity, close quote. That was Tony Campolo. Check out his book. I've just read Disarming Scripture. It's a uh, compelling and delightful read. Derek, thanks uh, thanks a bundle. for. Uh, I hope we can do part two soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.